So today we come to the very end of the book of Acts. And as we, as we conclude our study, it's important that both as, as individuals and as a church, we take some time to think about the impact that this book and its truths have had on us. Now, when we think back through the book of Acts, it's natural to perhaps remember some of the stories where there was bold witness or some of the dramatic miracles that God did even through his apostles. And we should do that. The supernatural miracles that God did recorded, recorded in Acts are nothing short of spectacular. It is right and it is good to, to read through the book of Acts and to think, wow, what an awesome God. If, if this God, if our God is with us, then who could possibly stand against us? Now that is 1,000% true. But as we begin to wrestle with what it looks like to bring that truth or the truths of this book to our lives today, let's remember how the book started. Derek Thomas opens his commentary on Acts with these words. The Acts of the Apostles ends very differently from the way it begins. It begins in Jerusalem, the center of the purposes of God thus far. It ends in the city of Rome, the center of the world in Luke's day. In the very last sentence of Acts, we find the Apostle Paul preaching and teaching with all boldness and without hindrance. But as the book begins... There's just a small band of 11 men, some women and a few others. They witnessed crucifixion and resurrection, but seemed not to have expected either, despite both being foretold. After Good Friday, they fled for their lives. But what began in fear later emerged in boldness. So, as we think through how to live more faithfully as followers of Jesus, that is, in our lives right now today, and as we go out those doors and we show up for work tomorrow morning, let's remember that most of the bold believers in the book of Acts started confused, scared, and powerless. But God... God sent the Holy Spirit to empower his people to boldly share the good news about Jesus. And frankly, the world has never been the same since. Our passage this morning is Acts 28, verses 11 through 31. Hear then the word of Almighty God. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, 
and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Purioli. There we found brothers, and we were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, but there, there was no reason for the, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation." For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Father, please bless the reading of your word, and not only the reading of your word, but the proclamation of it. We ask this through the power of the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So today's message really amounts to a loving exhortation that encapsulates some of the most important truths in Acts that we've seen over the last year. So could summarize the focus of our time like this. 
because God is sovereign and because the Spirit has come. Let's witness with all boldness about Jesus and pray we can do so without hindrance. Because God is sovereign and because the Spirit has come, let's witness about Jesus with all boldness and pray we can do so without hindrance. Remember that in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts, we have seen that God is absolutely sovereign over every sermon we've heard, every jail cell, every prayer meeting, every council, every confrontation, every vision, every escape plan, every wave of the sea, and every single human heart. Therefore, because God is sovereign over everything, and because the Spirit has come in power, like Paul at the end of our passage, let's witness about Jesus with boldness, and let's pray that we can do so without hindrance. Now, we'll move through our passage uh, by first looking at the fact that Paul finally makes it to Rome. Paul and Luke and their companions finally make it to Rome in verses 11 through 16. Then we'll look at Paul's argument uh, to the Jews in Rome, which essentially boils down to the fact that he believes he is a faithful Jew, faithfully expositing the scriptures in verses 17 through 22. And then we'll see somewhat of a familiar theme in terms of the fulfillment of prophecy as some believe and some disbelieve, and Paul warns them of their unbelief in verses 23 through 28. And then finally, we'll see the fruitful ministry that Paul had over the next two years, verses 30 and 31. That's where we're heading. Let's begin with our first section. What's the longest journey that you've ever taken? You might have to think for a little bit. You know, when you're a kid, you don't have to go very far, and it seems like it's taking forever, right? What's the longest journey you've ever taken? I mean, if you have small kids, sometimes just a trip to the gas station or the grocery store can seem like an eternity, right? When, when our kids were little, I think I saw the inside of probably every bathroom in Blunt County. <laughs> Honestly, I'm still a little bit traumatized by the whole thing, you know. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to go to Kroger's bathroom with the kids, and we may pick up some groceries while we're there. <laughs> but of course, I'm thinking about something much longer than that, maybe crossing multiple states or, or flying internationally. Perhaps you've been on a mission trip where you had to wait, switch flights, and wait, switch to an even smaller plane, and wait for a long time. Once you land, maybe you had to take a, a rather sketchy bus ride in a vehicle that probably shouldn't have been driven. 
by a guy who probably shouldn't have been driving on a road that probably shouldn't have cars on it. That the longer the journey, the less comfortable the accommodations, the more unscheduled the wait times, the worse the weather, the more challenging the difficulties, the more you can probably understand all that went into Luke's little standalone sentence at the end of verse 14. And so we came to Rome. Finally, they had been through a lot to get to this point. Now, there's always a sense of relief when a long journey is over, but usually when you're traveling a very long distance, there's something you're looking forward to at the end of the journey that makes it all worthwhile. But think about this with me. Was that true for Paul? He, he has no idea what lies ahead. They've, they've, finally, they've finally arrived in Rome. But what's next? Will he be exonerated? Will he be exiled? Will he be executed? With Nero, anything... And everything is probably on the table. So amidst this sobering uncertainty, think about how encouraging it would have been for Paul to have Christian brothers come from miles around to meet them. And the brothers there, when they heard about this, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet them. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and he took courage. What a gracious gift from God. One that Paul didn't take for granted because he he takes time to thank God for providing these brothers and he took courage. Up to this point, all Paul's encouragements on this long journey have primarily been through the promises of God. And now in this point, as he arrives in Rome, the encouragement comes from the people of God. So brothers and sisters, may we, may we never take for granted the incredible privilege that it is to be in Christian community to be in fellowship with other believers for whom Christ Jesus died and in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. 26 people completed the latest growth group leader training class just yesterday in in this room. We as a leadership are committed to giving the most people the most opportunities to love one another and be loved by one another in the most Christ-centered way possible in biblical community, which often happens through growth groups. Now, I mean, really, to think, think a little more broadly at the moment, the past two years with COVID has amplified the reality that all people All people need to have community with others. Isolation is not good for human beings. 
And I know recently uh, been, there's been a surge in, in COVID cases. So I'm so thankful that we, we have the live stream because it's been a blessing to so many of us. But the truth is, I am longing. I am longing for the day when the whole church can be gathered together, all of us, again, face to face. I miss the balcony being packed and this main area being packed, and I miss the front floor being packed when the kids are in here. And to hear all of us, all of us, singing praises to our great God. Nothing, absolutely nothing can replace in-person worship among the people of God. For us, it is our greatest joy. It's, it's, it's just like when you sit down for family dinner and one person's missing from your family. You all feel it. It's the same way on Sunday mornings. Until the day we are all present together in the presence of our great God, something will be missing, and I can't wait to be together. Verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When I read this, I can, I can almost feel the sense of sadness or exasperation in Paul's words. Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. Paul's argument essentially is that he is a faithful Jew who is faithfully proclaiming the Holy Scriptures. In particular, he's faithfully expositing the prophecies about the Messiah who was to come. A faithful Jew would never bring a charge against his nation, verse 19. The only reason Paul appealed to Caesar was to escape the evil intent of the Jewish leaders, despite the fact that the Romans didn't believe that he had done anything wrong. Think about that. He's asking to go to Caesar. So far, all of the Romans have said, we don't think you've done anything wrong. Certainly not guilty of capital punishment. Is Caesar going to feel the same way? Maybe. Hopefully. But he considered himself safer appealing to Caesar than he would have been in the hands of his own countrymen to whom he was proclaiming the good news about Jesus the Messiah. It's an absolute tragedy. Paul puts it well in verse 20. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am in chains. What an intriguing phrase. So what's it mean exactly? This is a direct reference to the fact that throughout Acts, Paul has been 
seeking to persuade his fellow Jews and others that the promised Messiah, the hope of Israel, prophesied so long ago, finally had arrived on the scene. The reality is that Paul is in chains precisely because he announced the good news that God's Messiah had come. And he had announced it to God's people, but God's people did not receive their Messiah. Little did the people know that the message Paul was proclaiming was was not just an odd doctrine or the bizarre teaching of an obscure sect that was some type of unorthodox offshoot of Israel that deserved to be condemned, verse 22, that wasn't it at all. Rather, the message that Paul was proclaiming was nothing less than the good news that Jesus was the salvation of Israel. And he was not just the savior of the Jews, but in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19. The message Paul was proclaiming was that in Christ, those who were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. My question is, do you know that this morning? Do you know that no matter how far away from God you are or you believe yourself to be, because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and of Calvary's cross, you can be brought near to God. You can experience fellowship with God forever. No matter what you have done. No matter how grotesquely you have sinned. No matter how far you feel yourself to be away from God. No matter how far you believe God thinks you should be away from him. In some sense, none of that matters. What matters is the potency of the blood of Jesus Christ to save your sin. Put your faith in Jesus. And today, you can experience the love of God. And you will have his love forever. The message Paul was proclaiming was that in his flesh, Christ has broken down the wall of hostility that both Jew and Gentile could now be reconciled to God in one body through the cross. Ephesians 2 and verse 16. Here's an interesting thought. Despite the fact that Paul was arrested for proclaiming the good news, the message was still spreading everywhere throughout the region. Because note in this scene that the gospel actually beat Paul to Rome. Because the believers that welcomed him were already believers. And they came to be an encouragement to Paul. The question is, how can that be? Well, one reason is, a couple years ago, they probably received Paul's letter called Romans. 
And the Holy Spirit used that to convert them. The reality is, it's because as Paul proclaimed to young Timothy, though I am bound with chains like a criminal, the word of God is not bound. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9. When they had appointed a day for him, that is the Jews, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So notice that here, Paul is continuing with the same pattern that he has used everywhere throughout the book of Acts. The good news goes first to the Jews. Because God loves his people. And he wants them to turn to his son, the Messiah that he sent to save them. Here Paul testifies to the kingdom of God. And he does his best to try to convince them. That is to persuade them about Jesus and the fact that he is the Messiah. What is fascinating is that everything comes down to one statement that Paul makes. Everything comes to a head when Paul quotes Isaiah the prophet, letting God's own word condemn their unbelief. Hear these terrifying words. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, And their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Paul's made this argument before when the people refused to listen to his message. In Pisidian Antioch, Paul told the Jews, said, since, since they had thrust the gospel aside, since they had thrust the gospel aside, he and his companions were turning to the Gentiles. Now you might remember this powerful scene from chapter 13 and verse 48 because the Gentiles are there also. And as soon as the Gentiles hear that the good news of the gospel is also for them, they begin rejoicing and singing and praising God. The good news of the gospel has come to us. Israel's Messiah is the Savior of the world, and they rejoiced with great joy. In Corinth, when the Jews opposed the gospel, Paul said, 
your blood be on your own head. I am innocent. From now on, I am going to the Gentiles. Chapter 18 and verse 6. And in Ephesus, Paul began his ministry by reasoning from the scriptures in the synagogue for three months. But when some became stubborn and persisted in unbelief and began talking evil about the way, Paul left and began speaking daily in the public hall of Tyrannus. Acts 19, verses 8 through 9. Here's the sober takeaway, I think. Recall that throughout Acts, some who hear the message believe. They repent and they turn to God for the salvation of their souls. And throughout Acts, some who hear the exact same message from the exact same person, at the exact same time, they oppose the message. They dismiss the message. They ignore the message. They thrust the gospel aside. Notice that for Paul, after he had shared the gospel, if people persisted in unbelief, He moved on. This was true of Jesus also. In fact, once in Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And Jesus went on to quote the exact same passage that Paul quotes here. Isaiah chapter 6. So, I feel a burden. I feel compelled to ask you whether you're a very young person who comes to church every Sunday with your parents, whether you're a husband who basically comes to church to pacify your wife, or, or whether you're older and you, you come to church because, you know, as far back as I can remember, we just always went to church. Or whether you're visiting with us this morning and and today is the first day that you have ever heard the gospel message. The question is the same for every one of you. Have you repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus Christ? There is no more important question. I don't mean, do you generally like to hear the things that we talk about with respect to Jesus? 
That's not what I'm talking about. Or do you believe that we preach about the one true and living God when we gather together on Sunday? The difference between liking what we talk about with respect to Jesus and loving the Son of God is the difference between heaven and hell. If you do believe we faithfully preach about the one true God, that does nothing because James warns us even the demons believe that. But they shudder. So your presence here is no, no guarantee of salvation. The fact that you acknowledge that you think we're teaching the truth is no guarantee of salvation. There are only two responses to the gospel. There are only two responses to hearing the gospel. Either you turn toward it, embrace it, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, or by ignoring it, or dismissing it, or making sarcastic jokes about it, or being indifferent to it, or by thinking, I'll deal with that later because there's some other stuff I want to do first. All of these things fall into the same category. You are rejecting the gospel. You are not a Christian. What Jesus has done will not benefit you unless you turn from your sin and put your faith in him and his finished work on Calvary's cross. You you might sit here every Sunday and, and hear the gospel with spiritually dull ears and spiritually blind eyes, and you know in your heart of hearts you have not put your faith in Jesus for the salvation of your soul. You know that you have not been born Again, if, if that is you, ask God to awaken you from your slumber. Ask him to take away your spiritual sickness and make you well. Ask him to breathe resurrection life into your spiritually dead heart so that you might live Turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus so that you might be saved from the wrath of God. The furious wrath of a mighty God against sin. You need to be rescued. And so that you might know the full embrace of the loving Father who loves you with a love that is unimaginably glorious. If today is the first time you've ever been called to repentance, respond in faith. There is no guarantee there will be a second time. If today's the 2004th time you've heard the gospel, respond in faith today. If you haven't, there's no guarantee there will be a 2005th time. If you heard the gospel today, 
or if you have heard the gospel from this pulpit before, if you continue to refuse it, then when you and I and the other men who have the burden of preaching the gospel from this pulpit, when we together stand before Jesus Christ, if you have not repented of your sin, your blood will be on your own hands. Because I will look at you and say, I am innocent of your blood. I begged you to believe in Jesus Christ. We pointed you to Jesus every Sunday, week after week after week after week. Why didn't you come to him in faith? And then I will go away with the other men into eternal blessedness forever, and you will not join us. So behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. With respect to Paul, the book of Acts closes with this summary. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You may have noticed in the transition here that there is no verse 29 which usually comes between 28 and 30. The reason is because that verse does not appear in the earliest manuscripts that have been found of the New Testament. So many translations choose to leave that out, believing that the earliest manuscripts are the most accurate. Um, it is included, verse 29 is included in some of the later manuscripts, so there are some solid translations that do include verse 29. And verse 29 reads like this. After he said these things, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So you can see that the content of the verse is totally consistent with the passage. And that addition wouldn't change our understanding of what's happening here in the slightest. But I didn't want you to be confused by it or wonder why I had skipped over that. But beyond this. You may notice that in some ways, Luke's conclusion here to Acts, it does leave us with some unresolved questions about what's happening with Paul's life and what specifically happened with his case. Now, I personally think that there's good evidence that Paul's case was dismissed. In Philippians 1, 25 and 26, which recall that Paul wrote during this two-year time period, under house arrest. In Philippians 1, 25 and 26, Paul at least infers that he expects to be released from prison. 
plus some of the activity in Ephesus and in Crete that Paul describes or talks about in his letters to Timothy and to Titus, some of that makes the most sense if he was released during this time and was out in the community. But then he was likely imprisoned a second time, or again, I don't know what time it is for him at this point, uh, near the end of his life. But this time he expected his execution when he wrote his last letter, 2 Timothy. And he mentions that specifically in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6. Maybe when Paul stood before Caesar, maybe the Sanhedrin just failed to send anyone on their behalf to prosecute the charges against Paul. That's a possibility. I mean, the, the journey to Rome would have been arduous, but what would have been even more daunting would have been perhaps standing before Caesar and making a case against Paul when you already knew that Roman authority after Roman authority after Roman authority had said, we find no fault in this man. You may not have wanted to irritated to have irritated Nero. So maybe they chose not to send anyone. Whatever the case, what is clear is that the ministry of the Word of God continues to flourish. And this is a great reminder, the way that Luke ends Acts, it's a great reminder that Acts is not primarily a biography about Paul or Peter for that matter, or anyone else. Rather, the book of Acts is describing the advance of the word of truth, the gospel of God from Jerusalem outward on its way to the ends of the earth as King Jesus rules over everything from heaven and as the Holy Spirit ministers in and through and to the church of God. One way the word of God advanced, one way that Paul clearly enjoyed fruitful ministry during this time is that he actually wrote four books of the New Testament while he was here during this two-year period. I mean, I mentioned Philippians, but he also wrote Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, books that we are obviously still reading 2,000 years later. So if, if any one of those books, <laughs> Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, if any one of those books, any part of one of those books has strengthened your faith at any time in your life, and I suspect that it has if you are a believer in Jesus, then rejoice that God granted Paul fruitful ministry during this time period. In Paul's case, though he could not physically take the gospel outward during this time, his pen was not bound And neither was the gospel itself. The ministry of the word of truth, the spread of the gospel, not only continued outward towards the ends of the earth geographically, but because of the written word of God, the gospel has also traveled across to millennia so that we could read the word of God, so that we could We could hold the word of God in our own hands so that we could rejoice in the word of God, so that we could exalt in the word of God. That is a glorious reality. And in part, at least some of these books were written while Paul was imprisoned. Praise God for his inscrutable wisdom. But 
if it's the case that Paul can share the word of God boldly at the very doorstep of Caesar's household. And if he could do it with all boldness and without hindrance, then brothers and sisters, we too can preach the gospel. We too can share the gospel. We too can witness about Jesus with all boldness. No matter what seems threatening around us. Another indicator that Paul's ministry was not just bold but fruitful is found near the end of the book of Philippians. In Philippians 4, in verse 22, Paul, Paul makes an incredible statement. He says, All the saints greet you. All the saints means the believers in Jesus. Those who have not rejected but embraced the gospel message. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. That's utterly amazing. It's just one final flex from Jesus in the book of Acts. He can save sinners out of Caesar's own household, and there's nothing he can do about it. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, God can save sinners. God can save sinners. God could sovereignly save any person at any place at any time through the power of the Holy Spirit. So pray that he would continue to do so, especially for those who are within your sphere of influence. Because God is sovereign and because the Holy Spirit has come, let's witness about Jesus with all boldness and let's pray that we can do so without hindrance. That's the essence of this loving exhortation that I wanted to give you, to give us this morning. Now, since we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit, I want to close by praying for three things. First, earlier I mentioned that our tendency as we remember Acts would be to recall some of the spectacular things that God has done as he moved. And he did several, and that's glorious, and that's wonderful. But, do not forget that the way the gospel primarily spread in the early church was through ordinary people exercising ordinary means of grace as they shared the extraordinary message of the gospel with other ordinary people in very ordinary circumstances. This is how the kingdom of God advances on earth. Acts 2.46 and day by day, it sounds very ordinary, even routine. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, those things sound pretty ordinary for the day. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That, that is, we could say they were able to share without hindrance. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is a remarkably ordinary mission strategy. And through it, God did extraordinary things because that odd little sect that Paul belonged to 
has reached the ends of the earth. And on the globe, there are more than 2 billion people that believe its truth, or at least profess to believe its truth. So, undoubtedly in Acts, there were some extraordinary time of blessing, right? But so much of it happened through ordinary people doing ordinary things with other ordinary people as they witness boldly about Jesus. So these two things can go together in your mind. You have to be able to hold these two things here. I can do ordinary stuff, and I can talk to ordinary people in an ordinary way. Oh, that's still in this bucket, so put that one back in this bucket. All this ordinary stuff is in this one bucket, right? Normal life, normal conversation, and boldness at the same time. You can talk to people normally and be bold about your faith in Jesus. You can walk into work and talk in a normal way to the other normal people there, but hold to your faith in Jesus. You can testify to the truth of the word of God. You can witness about our beloved Lord. Both those things can happen. So my first prayer is that we would witness with all boldness in the very ordinary circumstances of our lives. Keep talking to people. Keep being normal. And be very bold in your witness about Jesus. Second, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray no matter what age you are. That God would give you the heart of a missionary. That God would raise up many missionaries from among this church family. I mean this fellowship. So that you can share the gospel wherever God leads you, whether that's with somebody at lunch, in the lunchroom at your elementary school, whether that's somebody at work, whether it's neighbor across the driveway, or, or whether it's over the ocean. We need to have missionary hearts individually and our church has to have a missionary heart if we are going to obey the Great Commission. There is way too much at stake. So that prayer request is that we would have the heart of a missionary. And I'm asking every single one of you to pray that. Third, I want to pray that God would raise up people from our church, possibly you, to go to an unreached people group at some point here in the future. Either an unreached people group or, or some place where there is hostility to the gospel message. Recently, TJC produced an article that said that over 360 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution or discrimination. Just of those that we know about, in 2021, about 6,000 Christians were killed for their faith. This past year. For the past 30 years, Open Doors has tracked global persecution in the 2022 World Watch list, it reveals that for the very first time, 
Afghanistan has supplanted North Korea as the most dangerous place to be a Christian. So there, again, is some very serious fallout. So the top three most dangerous countries on earth to be a Christian right now are Afghanistan, North Korea, and Somalia. Now, we'll post this whole list of all 10 nations and how you can be specifically praying for those nations on our website. When we post uh, today's sermon and put the sermon notes up there, we'll also put a document so that you can read through that list and, and pray through that list. So today we want to pray for the Christians there and that God would raise up some from among us. You know, it's, it's a very interesting experience for me personally. I sit among us worshiping God every morning or every Sunday morning, and sometimes then I have to rise to come up here to proclaim the good news about Jesus. Some weeks it's not my turn. Some weeks it is my turn. As we think about taking the gospel to the nations, I wonder if it might be your turn. I wonder if you might rise, knowing that God is calling you out to bring the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So I'll pray over us, and then we will respond in worship to the living God. Father, I first pray that you you would help us to see the glory of the gospel. For those of us who embraced it, I pray that you would help us to see its greatness and its wonder. Because if we think that that somehow Jesus might make our friend's day a tiny bit better, we're not going to share the gospel. And it wouldn't do anything if we did, if that's our gospel. Rather, I pray that you would help us to see the greatness of the glory of Jesus Christ in your word. Because what we see in your word is what, is what we will proclaim to the world. Lord, help us to see the desperateness of our condition apart from Christ. Help us to see and revel in the greatness of the glory of the salvation that he has provided. And motivate us to go to share this news with others. So, Lord, help us in the first place, to be bold in our witness, even in the very ordinary circumstances of our lives. Help us to keep doing normal stuff, but be bold in our witness. Father, also create in us the heart of a missionary. Having been impacted by the glory of Jesus Christ, give us a desire, compel us to go in love to others, to tell them the good news. Third, Lord, would you, raise up, would you raise up people to go reach unreached people groups, people that have never heard of Jesus Christ? Provide an opportunity for some of us to go to hostile nations to help in any way we can. So, Lord, use our time in this book, this book of Acts, to transform the way that we think about what our role here is here on earth. 
until your kingdom comes. Give us boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. One day, we will celebrate everything that he has done forever and ever and ever. And we want as many people as possible to be there with us. So do this, we ask, through the power of the Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.